Six minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, you're listening to KTTR 99.7 FM on this Thursday. Time for our Phelps Health Program, and uh, Paige Heitman is with you today. Good morning, Paige. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good. This is the third week in a row that you weren't supposed to be here. I know. I just keep showing up. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, I'm basically a homeless dog at this point, right? (laughs) (laughs) You guys keep letting me in. It's really your fault. They keep bringing bringing you back. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, so today on our Ask a Professional show, we have um, Phelps Health cardiologist, Dr. Dimitri Fimeltsev. So welcome back to our show. Hello. Yeah, we're really glad to have you back. So I know we always love to start our show off with asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. So that's how we're going to go ahead and start off our show today. Uh, well, I'm one of the general cardiologists here at, at Phelps Health and Raw. Uh, I uh, uh, basically... Uh, majority of my work uh, consists of seeing patients in clinic uh, in the uh, what we call a MOB building uh, in the offices. Uh, part of my uh, part of my work also um, is that I'm taking care of patients on the floors uh, with uh, active uh, <coughs> acute cor- uh, uh, issues related to the heart. Um, and um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, been here for over a year and a half, almost going in two years, so enjoying it very much. Enjoying my patient population, had a lot of uh, um, a lot of patients that uh, uh, you know, kind of kind of a good, uh, really good, have a good record and have uh, uh, really become almost like friends. So uh, yeah, it's been enjoyable so far. Great. Awesome. Yeah, I know we always love having you on the show. I was uh, talking your ear off before we got started. Today we're talking about coronary arteries disease and nobody can see my paper but me and I have lots of notes um, about this topic today because it's so interesting and it's so relevant to our population here in this area. So to get us started off, um, what is coronary artery disease? Coronary artery disease is uh, atherosclerotic disease or uh, disease of the vessels of the arteries of the heart. Uh, that <clears throat> collect the deposition of uh, uh, um, atherosclerotic or lipid-rich plaque, which is related directly to the cholesterol, sometimes can be calcified, uh, and uh, coronary artery disease uh, can be broadly separated into um, either acute issues of acute uh, coronary syndrome, uh, what, we, what we call a heart attack, you know, those things that we see on TV, clutching chest pains and, uh, you know, or, or sudden cardiac death from that, or stable coronary artery disease when people have a stable plaque that obstructs the flow uh, in the arteries of the heart to the point that patient starts experiencing symptoms either chest pains or the shortness of breath with exertion or just really overwhelming fatigue. Those are the most common symptoms of the significant coronary artery disease. So how prevalent is coronary artery disease in the U.S.? Will most people have some sort of coronary artery disease in their lifetime? That is correct. So coronary artery disease is very, very common. In fact, uh, it's a leading cause of uh, uh, death in in the uh, people uh, here in the United States or actually in the world as well um, if you if you look at the, at the broad picture here uh, so it's very common so what about men versus women we kind of were talking about this before the show started and I had told you that my husband suffers from high cholesterol um, at Phelps Health we do annual wellness exams every year in the past few years he's had consistently high cholesterol um, you know does genetics play play a role in that do men or, men or women have consistently higher um, rates of coronary artery disease? 
uh, yes, yeah, so uh, about the genetics, genetics definitely plays uh, a very strong role in coronary artery disease. It's one of the strongest risk factors if you have somebody with uh, coronary artery disease, especially your immediate family member, which is mom, dad, or siblings, uh, your chance of having coronary disease is much, much, much higher than otherwise. As for men and women, uh, women in this particular situation are um, luckier uh, because their uh, coronary artery disease incidence is lower than in men in, in, in general. As a lot, of, a lot of that has to do with estrogen protective um, qualities on uh, the plaque uh, uh, formation and on the lipid balance in, in the body in general. However, <clears throat> uh, after menopause, women lose that protection from, the, from their estrogen and uh, <clears throat> after the menopause, they over, over a few years, they quickly kind of uh, get into the same risk category with men. Um, uh, if you compare, you know, men uh, and women of 70 years old, the risk of coronary artery disease is probably going to be the same. So with the loss of estrogen after women go through menopause, is there anything that they can use to supplement that loss of estrogen? It's a great question. Uh, it's been heavily looked into, uh, and sometimes patients ask me that question. The current um, data and research does not support <clears throat> a use of estrogen or even a combination medications, what we call hormone <clears throat> hormone uh, replacement therapy, which is estrogen and progestin to Im improve uh, cardiovascular outcomes. It just doesn't, it, it just doesn't seem like it helps and it has its risks associated with taking an estrogen therapy, which, you know, as, as, as you may know, can cause, you know, increased uh, risks of uh, certain uh, cancers as well as formation of the clots. So um, we do not recommend estrogen progestin or estrogen itself therapies to just to prevent coronary vascular disease, coronary, coronary disease, we don't. So once you hit a certain age, you should just know that like your risk factor is going to be a little bit higher, right? That is correct. Yeah, it's uh, always worth. That's why we talked before, you know, probably last year, we talked about the primary prevention of coronary artery disease. And it's always good to start early. You got to think, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta get your sleigh ready for the winter <laughs> in, in the summertime, you know. So it's uh, very appropriate for now, 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 the weather outside right now. <laughs> but... Um, Yes, it's uh, you got to be ready for the fact that um, you're, you, you're not going to have that protective qualities of the estrogen. You're not you're going to lose your benefit. You're, you're kind of a, you're kind of uh, uh, going to be in the same basket with with, with men, basically, uh, after a certain age. So preventing um, and preventing and preventing is the most important thing, which I think uh, kind of a good topic to uh, we all we talked about that last time mm -hmm. and uh, today we kind of were planning to talk about the secondary prevention of coronary artery disease people who already had either a heart attack or ischemic mm -hmm. coronary disease um, uh, de uh, detected and really ischemic stroke is also in the same category we looked at we look at those uh, risks as, as the same risks if a patient had ischemic stroke a stroke from the plaque from atherosclerotic mm -hmm. plaque uh, the preventative measures are going to be the same after they had an event as for coronary artery disease 
So the first and foremost things are lifestyle modifications. Um, we always talked about in primary prevention, but everything that goes into primary prevention is still applicable to a secondary prevention. You know, diet, your diet, your weight loss, your exercise, uh, all of those things are very, very important. So whenever you talk about diet as part of the, these preventative measures, is there a certain type of diet that is most important? And I know whenever we say diet, that gets really tricky because diet to me always seems very short term, right? Like you're just, you're going to lose a certain amount of weight and then you're done, right? But we don't want to talk about it like that. I think it should be a lifestyle modification. Absolutely. And I always like to talk, to talk about diet a little more. I think um, that I think um, people do not define diet um, uh, correctly. When you say diet to the patient, they always think about starving to death, eating something they don't <laughs> well, want. Well, that's to. true. <laughs> rem remember, remember that. Uh, remember that the diet, the word diet, doesn't mean that you have to diet. It's a, it's a necessarily healthy mm -hmm. diet. You can have unhealthy diet that's still going to be a diet. You can have high protein diet, you can have keto ketogenic diet. A mm -hmm. lot of people talk about that nowadays. And a lot of patients ask me, how do I lose weight? Well, the only pro proven diet uh, for coronary uh, disease, whether or stroke or any types of improved, you know, your morbidity and mortality is actually a Mediterranean diet. Mediterranean diet uh, has been proven over and over. It's a doubtful benefit of uh, that uh, diet, uh, and it includes, you know, vegetables, certain fruits, you know, not too high in sugars and fructose. Um, it uh, it involves the, uh, the different types of nuts, which uh, usually are salty, you know, in 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 the, in, a, in the shops that we see, but they should be unsalted because salt is in itself a problem for the uh, for the car uh, for the cardiovascular disease and um, uh, the uh, fish could be probably should be probably predominant uh, food uh, at least one at least twice you have to eat fish in a week and um, one of those uh, dishes with fish should be an oily type of fish uh, so uh, those are the th and, 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 and the white meat, you know, uh, reduction of the red meat really to a minimum what in, in included in the Mediterranean diet and, you know, and the Mediterranean diet by definition should have some, uh, some uh, unsaturated oils and those oils usually are olive oil is what, is what is recommended. Really trans fats, processed foods are the ones that should be either completely excluded or reduced to minimum, which you know your our favorite bacon is not really a good uh, a good healthy meal. Why? Because it has not only it's fried, which turns the fats into transaturated fats, which are very bad. Also, it's also processed with a lot of salt. Not a good meal to have regularly. Once in a while, I always tell my patients, you, you got to live, you got to enjoy the life and tastes of things. But we're talking about something to do regularly versus doing it, you know, once in, in a mm -hmm. month, something like that. So um, another thing is um, uh, alcohol. A lot of a lot of patients ask me about what about protective uh, effects of alcohol. There are few there's a really conflicting evidence. We don't have a gray area. There's few studies that said one to two drinks equivalents per day, which 
an equivalent of a drink is either one beer, one glass of wine, or one, one shot of a strong liquor. It's protective in terms of cardiovascular disease. There's certain evidence that leads us to uh, believe that it's probably partly true. But then there's other studies that say no alcohol mm -hmm. is better is better for you. So if you don't drink, I wouldn't advise you to start drinking. <laughs> if you do drink, you definitely should try and 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 and, and kind of uh, try to be uh, within those recommended limits. Uh, and and re always remember that uh, alcohol has other potential bad effects on your health other than cardiovascular health. And biggest one is cancer. Uh, in people who drink alcohol. Uh, versus those who don't, much more prone to have different types of cancers. And that's something to remember. Whenever we're talking about diet, you mentioned salt. So let's go back to that for a second. Why is salt, why does it have such an adverse effect on the heart? The salt, um, some people are very sensitive to salt. Some people genetically more sensitive to salt than others. Uh, and salt probably through the effects of the uh, increasing your average blood pressures, put an enormous strain on your heart. If your blood pressure is already not good to begin with, and it puts you into dangerous dangerous numbers on, of average blood pressures throughout the day, not only it, it increases the chances of heart problems, which include heart attacks and heart failures predominantly, but also increases your risk of stroke. So recommendations currently is to reduce your your sodium intake to two grams or less which puts you at about five grams of salt per day well if you pay attention to things uh and to what you eat and you look at the label you always notice how difficult it is uh, especially with our western diet to maintain that balance everything has salt even the i always tell my patients even the raw meat and if you go to Kroger or wherever you go, any 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 uh, grocery store, any meat will be having even the raw meat will have some salt in it, just because how they preserve and 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 and, and, and meat. So you already even if you don't salt your your steak, it already has salt in it. Mm -hmm. So that's very important to pay attention to, especially if you have blood pressure issues, especially if you have chronic kidney condition, because kidney is what handles the salt. If your kidney is not perfect, you're going to be having more issues with salt. You're going to retain more fluid. Your blood pressure is going to be higher. And it all puts you over over, over longer term and an enormous uh, risks for developing either a card, any type of cardiovascular condition and stroke. For people who have um, cardiovascular conditions, who have already had cardiovascular events happen, um, in their lives or, you know, to their loved ones, what tools do Phelps Health cardiologists already have at their disposal to help diagnose and treat these types of conditions? Yeah, so it's really a secondary prevention question, mm -hmm. right? So you already had a heart attack or mm -hmm. you already had a stroke and you come to a cardiologist and say, what can I do to prevent another one? Very important question. Why? And I think a lot of patients with that condition should be seen by a cardiologist because the risk of a second event when you had a first one is much, much, much higher than in somebody who hadn't had it. So that is why it is so important to intensify the preventative measures to prevent the second or third or what, what, what you have it uh, uh, event in this particular patient. 
we always talk about the lifestyle, everything we just talked mm -hmm. about, you know, the diet, the exercise. We talked about the exercise last time we've met. There's recommendations of 150 minutes of, of more, at least moderate exercise per week. Weight loss is enormous. The two biggest things that patient can do right away to re reduce their risks are, number one, quit smoking if you're still smoking. Nothing except for genetics is more important to to get you to a, a healthier state and a preventable. You really, it's or really depends on you. Nobody else can do it for you. Is to quit smoking. Smoking is an enormous risk factor for a first or especially second heart attack mm -hmm. and stroke. Second, weight loss. I think if you if you put it in a hierarchy of things. What's more important is smoking cessation, number one. Number two, losing weight. Because losing weight is really a complex approach, right? It's not just you woke up and lost weight. Losing weight involves increasing your exercise and eating healthier at a minimum, right? So it's kind of a complex, you lose weight, you're doing something right. So that is a kind of a complex approach and, and a, really a measurement of how well you're doing in terms of your uh, risk modifications, especially if you're overweight or obese to begin with. About 40% of people in the U.S. are going to have what we call a metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome includes abdominal obesity, hypertension, and prediabetes or diabetes. 40% of people will have all three, and this is a really bad predictive sign for developing coronary artery disease or stroke down down the line in their lifetime so you talked about smoking cessation is that just smoking or is it tobacco in general because we have a lot of people in um, rural populations that chew yes uh, so inhaling smoke probably is worse of that but any types of tobacco products are not really good for you chewing or uh, smoking a pipe for example probably give you more issues with cancer of the um, oropharynx of your you know of your tongue cancers mm -hmm. your throat cancers uh, but they also have a lot of the effects of the systemic nicotine and all that that is actually not good for you so there we a lot of people used to go to vaping as a measure to prevent their you know to reduce it unfortunately vaping been proven to have a negative effects on the cardiovascular disease so you just gotta quit smoking i always tell my patient you paid too much taxes to the smoke to tobacco industry <laughs> stop it you spend your it, money on something else, else. Yes. uh-huh yes so one thing that also always comes up whenever we're talking about heart health is blood pressure for people um who may be like on the line maybe they have metabolic syndrome should they be checking their blood pressure at home maybe they've already suffered from a cardiac event should they be checking their blood pressure very important uh, it's one of the first conversation i always have with my patients in the in the clinic is what is your blood pressure do you know what your blood pressure is a lot of people have no idea and don't want to know unfortunately I have to educate them that this is very very important especially if we detect their blood pressure being high in the office it doesn't it's not an equivalent of high blood pressure if your blood pressure on the first visit with a new doctor especially in a snowing condition yes. you just have to drive you know for 40 minutes yeah they're nervous correct <laughs> it's it's called white coat hypertension or a patient just nervous you know it's just, it's just a lot of things he talked to people he doesn't want to he's talked to 15 different people before uh -huh. he reached my office he just walked 
and, and feeling uncomfortable. That's why the home monitoring is very important. We, I, a lot of people already have blood pressure machine and cuff that automatically measures their blood pressure at home because you know their grandparents or their husbands and wives have that. A lot of people never had that and we actually prescribe that. We send the prescription to pharmacy and they pick it up from pharmacy and I ask them and I teach them how to correctly check their blood pressures, which I ask them to do this at least twice a day. So checking your blood pressure, monitoring your blood pressure, especially if you have uh, blood pressure in the office that is not associated with seem of, of uh, the actual hypertension diagnosis yet is very, very important. What are the currently recommended blood pressure targets for males and females? So it's always a, a number of 120 over 80 is a perfect number to remember. Probably everybody knows that number, heard it in some way. We've uh, over the course of even my training, uh, we've had different guidelines that some of them were more relaxed, some of them were st more strict. The latest guidelines are actually more strict because uh, based on the sprint trial, that is, we currently we currently practice uh, blood pressure control. The lower that they shown that the lower your blood pressure, the better you do in terms of the long-term outcomes. And uh, they also extrapolated this to the category of people who are 75 years and older. Why am I mentioning this? Is because most of the studies that were done before kind of stop at that age, kind of a 75 and years old. Not many people were in, in, involved into those studies, mostly middle-aged and younger patients. But a sprint trial actually looked at the 75 and older and showed benefit in those patients too. If you control their blood pressure better, they do better. However, in 75 years old, there's a lot of other medications that are involved for different conditions. You gotta look at the patient, not at their numbers. Always look at the patient, always treat the patient, not the numbers. Quality of life in, in those who are 75 or older sometimes are much more important than a quantity of life. So it's an individualized approach in, the, in those categories of patients. So whenever you say quality of life over um, quantity of life, like number of years, what do you mean whenever you say that? So sometimes you, if, you, if, you, if you're going to chase the numbers, if you're going to chase the perfect blood pressure and, and keep pushing for blood pressure medications in the patients, and it's difficult because their vessels are calcified because they start feeling dizzy. They start falling. Mm -hmm. They lose their consciousness because their blood pressure drops acutely. They don't drink well. People over 75 frequently lose the thirst perception. They don't want to drink. They, they don't feel like drinking when mm -hmm. they're really dehydrated. So it's easy for people to pass out, especially when you have them on blood pressure medications. Things like that make it not reasonable to try and achieve a perfect average number when person passing out and hits their head all the time. Those, that's, those are the things that we're talking about. Okay, great. Um, so we've got just a couple of minutes left. I want to ask one more question. Um, what should somebody do if they have symptoms of coronary artery disease? So if they have like shortness of breath, heart palpitations, dizziness, nausea, those types of things, what what's their course of action? I think it should be separated into feeling really bad or feeling kind of a little bit bad over time that mm -hmm. is progressive because those are two different things. If you have the clutching chest pain the first time, you know, if, if the first time in your life it's on the left side, you cannot breathe, you're sweating profusely, always a good idea to call 911 and get evaluated. Do not play with that. I always, I had some personal friends who called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm having chest pains and they were over 65 years old and I say, 
males especially applicable to women to women as well but in this particular case I'd said males over 65 and chest pains don't play around you better be wrong you better spray the muscle you know sprain the muscle or mm -hmm. something like that but you gotta get evaluated if it's a progressive slow shortness of breath you are unable to do things you used to you're unable to enjoy things you used to because you cannot do them either because of the chest pains are shortness. it's always good to go ahead and talk to your primary care first probably or if you have that access, establish yourself with a cardiologist and get evaluated. Great. Fantastic. Dr. Fimilta, as, as always, you have great knowledge and expertise. We love having you on this show. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So today we've been speaking with Dr. Dmitry Fimeltsev, a cardiologist with Phelps Health Medical Group. Dr. Fimeltsev currently sees patients in Suite 500 of the Phelps Health Medical Office building. Please call 308-1301 to make an appointment. If you missed part of this show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org. Thanks so much.